0: Dennis? Open your Bibles to Exodus 26, verse 15, or otherwise just look at the handout because all the verses are written out already on the handout for you, so uh, whichever, whatever floats your boat, I guess is what they say, No, we're not studying Noah. Okay, whatever raises your tent, I guess, then we'll talk about that. In any event, <clears throat> let's go ahead and take a few moments for prayer and be sure that we get ourselves ready to look into the Word of God. This is some of that real dull and boring stuff uh, that you run into. That whenever you do, you wonder how all Scripture is profitable. It kind of makes you wonder, well, just like I'm just reading dimensions here and all this, and yet, uh, as we fo- if we follow the flow through, in fact. I was only going to do five or six chapters, and then the more I got to looking at it that we may do more than that, it, because it was, uh, it was so neat the way that it is laid out, because this is just the plan portion we're looking at. Now, when we get into Exodus 35, then they're going to put it together. And then, whenever they get it into the uh, desert because right now they're at Sinai, but when they start moving around, that's Numbers chapter 3 and 4, and it goes back through a lot of this same stuff, and I think it it quite obviously is to teach us important lessons. You have to plan something, and you have to execute something, and you have to uh, uh, take care of it and reveal it as you end up moving from place to place. It was originally supposed to be set up we're going to find some things. You go, why did they put that in there? And it has to do with Abrahamic covenant. So we'll take we'll take just a little bit of time. There's some neat stuff in this, even though it probably seems dull and boring on the surface, it's really not. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for your amazing word, for your plan. We thank you that you've included us in your plan. And Father, as we look into this uh, tent that was out in the desert, Father, I pray we would gain a greater appreciation for it uh, than than we ever had before. Father, we know it is your design, it is your plan, and Father, it is a great revelation. And the closer we pay attention to it, the more we're going to learn. So I pray we'd learn a lot from it and be able to use it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Exodus 26, verse 15, you see, we've seen the um, curtains before. The white linen curtains were the first thing. Then the goat's hair curtains went after that. Then it was the lamb skin or ram skin dyed scarlet. And then it was the uh, sea cow skins or what, whatever we decided on on that. So now it's an outer covering. that's obviously quite waterproof, no matter whether it's a sea cow or a seal or a porpoise or whatever they say. But it's something that is very durable. It's made to last. It doesn't look too good on the outside. It's just a tent out in the desert from the outside. So we have seen that. We've seen the dimensions of these curtains, seen how they are sewn together and put together. We see that some of them are put together with bronze clasp. Where you find bronze, you find judgment. Some are put together with gold clasp, and when you find gold, you find deity. When you find gold that has been put over wood, you find the hypostatic union of Christ. Wood represents humanity, and we're going to look at where again at where some of these things come from. Now, in verse 15, it says, "Then you shall manufacture." That's our word of saw once again, over and over. The boards. Now, the boards here is the. Uh, Masculine plural noun, kerish, Q-E-R-E-S-H. It's used 51 times in the Old Testament, and it's only used in reference to the boards of the tabernacle, except in Ezekiel 27.6. So 50 of the usages are found concerning the boards of the tabernacle. And it's understood to be planking, like the planking that they used on a ship. So it's not just a piece of wood like we have laying in the backyard or something or an old worn-out tube before or something like that. These have very definite uh, ways that they're to be cut and very definite ways that they're to be fit together. So it is the uh, it says, Make the boards of for the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. Now, upright is a cow participle of amad, and it is a word that uh, it really it's, it's the participle and it kind of indicates that they're going to lift them up and raise them up. And when you find something indicating lifting up or raising up, you're usually looking at the resurrection. The resurrection of what? It's wood, the resurrection of his humanity is what, what we're talking about in this symbolism. And then it says, Ten cubits <coughs> shall be the length of each board. Now, 10 cubits is uh, their cubit is 18 inches, foot and a half, 15 feet long. It's one foot taller than the floor to the center part of the ceiling. This is 14 feet tall to the center part. So this thing is a foot taller than, um, than this ceiling. So it's a, it's a pretty large structure. And then it says, and one and a half cubits, the width of each board. Now, that's, that's 27 inches. So that's a pretty good chunk of wood, right? This wide, 15 feet high. And as we move on through here, it's going to tell us how thick it is. Notice that third dimension is not found, but these boards will determine are uh, 9 inches, uh, half a cubit thick. And that's just the way it all fits together, and you're left to... Take the givens that you've got, and then you end up with this is what I need to know. And it's interesting because I thought, how much does this thing weigh? Uh, one time, each board. I, one time, we were thinking about opening up our uh, dining room and back porch, and actually, one time we're thinking about opening up the living room and dining room. And to do that, you have to put a beam across there, and we had a 16-foot beam that we were going to have to put across there, and you talk to a lumberyard, and you say, this is what i got to do, this is what it's supporting, and all that, they calculate it all out. And you end up with the, uh, not just the length, but they tell you how tall it's got to be and how wide it's got to be. Then you make your pedestals underneath it, and you get 18 little guys from the neighborhood, and you put it in place because it's a heavy chunk of wood. Well, I got to thinking, how much does this thing weigh? Because you got Levites that are going to be toting this thing through the desert. And I thought, because to pick up that board, I think it was three or 400 pounds, and you needed about six guys to get that piece of laminate beam into place. Now, we opted not to do that. I was thankful for that, but we opted not to do that. But here are these guys, and they're assigned with getting this from point A to point B. Walking through the heat of the of the desert, and how much did this thing weigh? So I looked up the density of acacia wood. You know what is the density of the wood because it could be a very light type of wood and, and it wouldn't wouldn't weigh all that much like balsa wood. But it's 15 feet um, tall, 27 wide, nine thick, and it weighs 40 to 60 pounds per cubic foot. Now, a cubic foot, as you know, is 12 inches, 12 inches, 12 inches. So that's a cubic foot. And it depends on the uh, particular type of acacia wood, but they average 40 to 60 pounds density per cubic foot. It's a heavy piece of wood. It's not a balsa wood, but a piece that size of balsa wood you could throw away all, all the way across this room. But this isn't something you're going to have to think about before you scoop down and pick up. And so I got to calculating that out, and that at uh, 40 pounds per cubic foot, and you calculate out the cubic feet that's in here, you get a thousand pound piece of wood. And if it's 60 pound density wood, you get 1,500 pounds of, of wood. In this one beam, 15 cubits, or th- that is 15 cubits, 15 feet long. So that is a pretty heavy piece of wood. It takes some. It's going to take a lot of Levites. You know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth just so they could get enough people to pick this thing up and move it. Because you got 20 boards on each side and you got eight on the back side. So you got 48 of those boards to haul across the desert. So when, when the Lord moved the cloud, which was their sign to move, there's probably a lot of them out there going, oh no, <laughs> we have got to figure out how to pick this thing up and haul it out of here. So, anyway, it says there shall be two tenons for each board. Now, a tenon, now that's the sea cow, just like we had last week. I got a picture of a tenon. This is, we have a mortise and a tenon. This is a common uh, carpentry uh, trick where they would take these pieces on the end and they would cut this down. And then these will fit into bases. Normally, you see this type of cut on a, a kitchen drawer or something like that. You see it in fine furniture. They cut these things to make them fit perfectly together. Well this is on a board that's 15 feet long but they put it on this bottom and it says make two of them. Now we don't know the exact dimensions of them. That indicates there's no symbolism to be found. But there's two of these, uh, two of these tenons and they are going to fit exactly into different types of bases. They call them sockets. So these tenons, when they go in, how do they stand up? How do you get this thing to stand up? Obviously, if a board's 15 feet tall and a little over 2 feet wide, you don't want it falling on you. I mean, it can, it can make short people shorter real fast. It's just it's not, not a good thing. It says two tenons for each board fitted to one another. Now, this word is shalav. Uh, it's a puel participle. The pu'el is intense, an intensification. It's the pu'el means it's done by an outside source. When the workmen on the tabernacle start putting this together, what God's saying, I want this thing perfect. I want you to fit these things together, and every board is to be identically the same. Yeah, that's part of the plans of the tabernacle. And he reminds them, see to it that you'd build it according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. Make it exactly like it's supposed to be. because that this is this is not just symbolic. it is structurally sound. To build something this way, it's about as strong as you can as you can possibly uh, build it. But the word Shalav means an equidistant spacing. That's why you get this translation having, Ben, spaced, equidistant. A woman to her sister. And that's that little phrase we saw a week or two ago. where it, it, It's isha and ak, And it's supposed to be one of those, one of the, the, an idiom. And it's saying, so they're looking at each other, but it's saying these are closely related to each other. A woman to a sister, I want them identical. Basically saying I want twins. I want identical twins when you're done with each one of these boards. And he says, Thus you shall manufacture for all the boards of the tabernacle. So that tells us that there's going to be something on the bottom, at least infers it, because you're not going to be able to drive these into the sand and have them, um, have them stay there and have the boards all stand up. When it's all put together, everything's leaning on itself, and that's what makes the structure strong. These things gain their strength from each other, and as they are put together and tied down with the straps and the, there there are uh, tent pegs that cover that are for the outer two uh, coverings. And once they get this thing stood up in place, they get the uh, skins over the top of it and tied down. This thing is strong. It will withstand desert winds out there in the Sinai. It it will handle the storms. And it, <clears throat> it says. Uh, and verse 18, and you shall manufacture the boards for the tabernacle. Twenty boards for the south side. Now that should get your attention right away. What do you mean south side? South side of what? Where are we? Which direction are we headed? What is this going to be? We'll see. The whole thing, the whole point of this thing, is that the opening is going to be to the east. And that's what it's going to tell us. The opening into the holy place is going to be facing toward the east. So this is on the south side of it. Now, it says uh, literally, for the south, for the side to the Negev, to the south. Now, this looks at setting up, eventually, the tabernacle in the promised land. The very fact that he's telling him to, to do this. Because in Canaan, the Negev is south of Judah. But it's north of where they are at Sinai. So he's not talking... Whenever they set it up, they're going to set it up like it's already in the land. But it's not yet in the land. Because they are uh, south of their... Uh, North of where they are at Sinai. So they are way too far south right now. The Negev to the south. They're in the south. About as far to the south as they can get. So they've got to go north to get to Canaan. And when they get into Canaan then. In the land of Judah. That's where it is Where it's going to be. In, in the Negev to the south. And then it says in verse 19. And you shall make or manufacture 40 sockets. Now this word is. Eden, E-D-E-N. It, we spell it like Eden, but it's, it is a seggle under the bottom of both of these. It is uh, 47 times this word is used. And it means a base or a pedestal. Uh, I don't know if I got a picture of it or not. Yeah, there they are. If you can see them across the bottom. They're like bricks, but they got holes in the top of them. And guess where they're going to put those boards? into the holes in the top of these sockets. And they're supposed to fit perfectly, so they're not moving around, but they're they're helping each other. Um, it has a hole in it to receive the tenons. Okay, so those two things cut at the end of the board. These sockets are going to be underneath it, and the tenons are going to set into these sockets. Now, <coughs> it's it's interesting that this thing is... Uh, Out of the 47 times, it's always used in regard to the tabernacle except in Job 38.6 where it is used for the bases or foundations of the world. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Oh, Job. Interesting use of that word for sure. And Song of Solomon 5.15 (laughs) This is, this is so weird because I ran into another word. We'll see it in a little bit. It too was used in Song of Solomon, one of the few places outside of the tabernacle that you're going to find anywhere. And here it is. And here is, here is the uh, Shulamite woman speaking of my beloved and speaking about how his uh, legs are so strong and mighty and they fit into sockets. Talking about his ankles and his feet. So this guy was evidently a real handsome, strong guy. And that's how it's used in that other case. I haven't explored what the symbolism might be there. But in any event, here's the uh, Song of Solomon's. He said, 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. So that tells us there's two sockets for each one. And that's what you can... See here, and I'm not going to count them, but there should be 40 sockets. Don't do that. 40 sockets of silver. And then the wood, it's going to be overlaid with gold later. But the wood that's going into them, this is where humanity meets what? Silver, redemption. The humanity of Christ meets the silver of Redemption. It's covered by gold, so it's hypostatic union. You're getting the picture of the hypostatic union all around this thing, wood overlaid with gold, deity over humanity. And then you're finding, what is their plan? Redemption. The whole plan of the ages is about redemption. So it says, um, Two sockets under one board, for its two tenons, and two sockets under another board for its two tenons. It's the way it sets up a sequence and says, this is the way I want you to keep doing it, because it says, make them all alike. And verse 20, for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, 20 boards. Okay, On the opposite side, this would be east, that we'd be looking at with the opening into the holy place. This would be the south side. This is a cutaway to see what what it looks like, and this would be the north side, so 20 and 20 facing each other. Now, it says, um, and on the north side, 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. So the north and south sides are identical, right? 20 boards at a cubit and a half each, 30 cubits, 45 feet, tells us the whole length of the tabernacle. From this entry here to the very back part behind the Holy of Holies is 45 feet. Now, this room is 60 feet that we're in. We're in a building that's 50 by 60. It's 50 feet this way and 60 feet this way. So, the tabernacle uh, would actually fit inside this room if the ceilings were tall enough. It's 15 feet wide. That's the width of the tabernacle, which is about the size of the entryway back there. I forget the dimensions on that. But let's see, it's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. It's uh, 14 feet. So the entryway is just about the, the size of the tabernacle. So we could fit the tabernacle inside of this, this building itself. The holy place and the holy of holies. Now, it still sounds small when you say, because this is a small building. In fact, I'd, when we first started putting this thing together and they poured the slab and I came out here one night and I was thanking the Lord for you know what he was doing with all that. And I'm standing right about where I'm standing now, looking toward the back. And I thought, we didn't build this thing big enough. I mean, that was the... Because we had the slab down and I and I thought... There is no way we're going to handle 30 people in here, and hopefully there's more than that. But in any event, I we didn't build it big enough. But guess what? By the time you get the walls up and everything else, it looks like a pretty big, pretty big thing. If you think of a 15 by 30 living room, that'd be a pretty good sized living room, wouldn't it? So you get some idea about about what you're what you're looking at there. He says, and for the rear. This is the word Yerichah. And it's a word that means the innermost recesses of the tabernacle. So this takes us all the way back to the back wall of the Holy of Holies. And he says to the rear, uh, for the rear of the tabernacle to the west, To be sure we don't get disoriented here, to the west, you shall manufacture six boards. All right, six boards. So we're looking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They put two too many in here. How do we know that? You shall man your mat. We kept reading is how I know that. But we that this should be six boards wide. Now, how far is that uh, six boards? Let's see, at a cubit and a, and a half. So let's see, six boards, one half cubits wide. Equals 9 cubits across. Equals 13 and a half feet. So how feet. So do how does this all figure out? Because this thing is 15 feet across. And that's because this is 6 boards. But this board on each side is doubled. And it makes 2 corners. And what it does by putting these one after another. And joining them at the top. What it does is connect the building together. So... There's two more boards that will fit right over the top of this board and this board because there are two boards too wide on this. (laughs) But this is itchy trigger finger. Anyway, it's uh, It's 15 feet, but it's got... How wide is each board? Nine. It's .75. It is half a cubit or nine inches. So you have 13 thirteen and a half feet with the six boards, but then you have two nine inch pieces coming from the side walls that makes the other cubit and a half to make it fifteen feet wide. And then on this inside wall, see this this is supposed to be right next to that. These two are backed up to each other and they will connect into this north wall, and the south wall. So I probably muddied the water here on that. Hopefully I didn't. But this is, this is what happens. Six boards across the back. The other two he's going to mention will fit on these edge boards here. If we just took these two off, maybe you can see it here. And this other board will go here in front of this board and then they will connect together with this other one over here they'll all be standing together now they're not interconnected per se but they're going to be connected on the outside and that's where the poles come where the poles come in <clears throat> you shall make two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the innermost resources okay Two boards, see, see, that's where the other two are coming from. Because it's going to make sure we got it. In the next verse, it's going to tell us eight boards total go in the back. Six boards across, doubled on each end. It says, and, and they, which is the two boards, shall be doubled. And <clears throat> here's where some of the, interest, some of the interesting uh, passages come in. The word double is ta'am. It's used five times. It's used here. It's used twice in Exodus 36, 29. That's three of the usages. Then it's used in Song of Solomon. <laughs> 4, 2, and 6, 6. And it's used in the hip field, Meaning to cause to bear twins. And it refers to, interestingly enough, teeth that match. So it's talking about... <laughs> the Shulamite woman's got teeth that match. <laughs> so, do you ever wonder where, <laughs> what's her teeth look like? That's some of the old, uh, uh, the old timers, you know. If you're bringing a, bringing a fair maid to meet the family or something like that, and they won't check her teeth like they did horses in there, that that's uh, really not a good way to do it. But that's the way <laughs> that's the way some some people thought. And he says they shall be. A doubling beneath, and together they shall be complete. Now the word "complete" is the word Tom, T-A-M. It's close to Ta'ams, a little bit, a little bit of difference there. It's used 14 times. Now "complete" is a good translation, but when you look at where this is also used, it's used in Job. Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 8. And chapter 2, verse 3. Job was a mature man. Job was this guy. It's describing Job. Have you considered my servant Job? One, eight. Again in chapter 2, verse 3. Have you considered my servant Job? He is one of these mature individuals. And so it's saying that They're going to bring these together and they're going to complete this structure. To its top, literally says upon its head from the top up, it's talking about the the top part, to the first ring. So they're going to hook these together. We'll see how as we move on through this. But they're going to hook these two together on the corners. The corners are going to be hooked together and so that's going to increase the stability of the structure. Thus it shall be with both of them they shall form, or be, the two corners. Now, what's one of the first things you lay when you lay a building, or begin a building? Cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. So here's a picture on both sides of this thing. Who is the chief cornerstone? Now, in verse 25, there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver. 16 sockets, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. So on this back wall is supposed to be eight boards, but again, it's six wide. And then these eight, the other two, are stacked on top of this one on the corner. Now, um, all right. The upright wooden boards speak of the resurrection of the humanity of Christ. That's all we're told about right at this point in time is that they're wood. And they're going to be standing upright. So that we don't know yet that they're going to have gold over them. But they do speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The silver sockets speak of the work of redemption. By the humanity of Christ. And eight when you look at the numbers, represents a new beginning. Whenever you go through the different numbers and what they mean, what they signify, normally seven is the number of perfection. Nobody really argues with that. And then you get to eight and you go, what is that? Eight is a starting over again, a new creation, something that we can do in Christianity. And it's eight, the new beginning, based on the redemption, because they're all set in silver, accomplished by Messiah. Now the two tenons, if we dig farther into the word for tenons, it's a word for hands. And it's like sticking your hand into something getting a good hold of it. Speak of Christ's human response to the plan and the completed execution of it. So here is humanity overlaid with gold. You can go ahead and look at hypostatic union fitting perfectly into a silver socket saying that he's the one that's accomplishing the redemption that is there. The hypostatic union of Christ. Uh, The directional issues of the tabernacle would be based on their position in the land of Canaan as per the Abrahamic covenant. For the side to the Negev to the south. And again, the, the Negev is not south of them at this point in time. So it is already assuming that they're going to be in the promised land. That they're going to be there. And so this is, if you're listening to this, you go know, south, south. How am I going to get any further? I have to go into the Red Sea again? I mean, Sinai is, is right there, just on the east side of the, of the Red Sea. So, what are we going to have to go back through the water and <laughs> see if any of those Egyptians lived through that, that thing? And the answer is no. And hence Christ's fulfillment of being the promised seed of Abraham. Because who is the promised seed of Abraham? Genesis 22:18. In Galatians 3:16, I love this passage. Because uh, uh, it, it's kind of interesting that uh, it says that the Lord pays attention to singulars and plurals. Because uh, sometimes the translators get way too lax with a, with a singular or a plural. Now we know in the English we have collective singulars uh, we have uh, collective plurals that are, that are plurals that take a singular verb. We have various things like that. And you could say sheep and it can be a singular or a plural, for example. That's a sheep or that's a, that's a flock of sheep. So you can say it as a singular or plural. But it says in Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds. As referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, Abraham, that is Messiah. That is Christ. The seed of, promised seed of Abraham. I I know I've told the story more than once, but I was asked, I worked for a Jewish man in uh, Tulsa one time, and we had Christmas parties which was always interesting for a Jewish man to throw a Christmas party. But we had a Christmas party, and he always wanted me to... He asked me one year, he said, Would you you mind offering up a a blessing, offering up a prayer for us before we eat? And the first year I said, Sure, but I'm going to have to close in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, think about that. If that didn't work for you, then, then fine. And so, he didn't ask me to do the prayer that year. Next year, he said... Uh, would you offer up kind of a generic prayer <laughs> for us here? It's kind of like, who are you going to pray to? But anyway, I thought about it. And I said, okay, Lord, here's an opportunity once again. And I said, okay, I will. And so I uh, was praying and uh, praying for blessings on the company and all the, the employees and everything else. And I said, and we pray and ask these things in the name of the promise Seed of Abraham. (laughs) and All the Christians. You could just almost hear them gasp. Because they knew I was coming to a close. And they were wondering what I was going to do. And I thought. This will help the Jews. Maybe they'll figure out who he is. (laughs) And go there. And I said. And you know. The Lord knows the intents of the heart. So I'm going to leave it in his hands. But uh, if you're ever caught in a trap like that. You might remember that. Now the fact that these wooden boards surround the entire tabernacle portray that an integral part of the plan of God is focused on His humanity. You see, we we lose sight of that. He is God that became man. John 1, we've been through that many times lately. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's where it picks up in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And then as you move through John, you watch his humanity grow. You watch in chapter 2 where he turns the, the water into wine in a wedding party. You t- see him talk to Nicodemus in chapter 3. You see him start working out the, the, the miracles that he, that he is going to do. And it's, it's amazing to go through the miracles. I don't know if any of you got to watch the show on um, Newsmax the other night that I sent out the thing, and I was pleased with it. I was, I was, it came off a lot better than I ever thought it would. I found a couple bones, but I'm a nitpicker anyway, so uh, that were in it. But I mean, it was, it seemed to be a very good, uh, even-handed presentation of of the. Uh, Messiah and and the issue there. So they're the but you find and that they made one thing they said 26 miracles of Christ or something like that. I forget the number, but I think I I think there's 35. <laughs> so <laughs> is that worth dividing up over? No, I'm not going to say don't watch the show because they they didn't agree with me on the number of miracles <laughs> that that Christ did. But anyway, it's um um. Uh, it's it's neat to see the miracles, and as you go through the Gospels, you can see you can see them just unfold there. They're so beautiful to to watch and see what he does with healing the man born blind and the, the lame guy that was trying to get into the pool of Siloam, and uh, at the right time and and raising the dead and raising Lazarus. And I mean, it's just it's truly amazing. Now, since the boards are specified as identical, they all portray the same thing. While the additions to the boards relate to different aspects of his humanity. Because there's going to be things that they're going to be hooked together with or things. These are silver that we've seen all the way around at that point to, points to redemption. But we're going to find wood and we're going to find these things interconnected with bronze, which is a picture of judgment. We're going to see them interconnected with gold, a picture of deity. And we're going to see the way these all come together. Now the corner boards portray the resurrected Christ as the chief cornerstone. I I think this is the... uh, These two passages, Psalm 118, 22... The concept of the cornerstone is not unique to the New Testament. The New Testament writers picked it up. Paul in Ephesians picked it up, Christ the chief cornerstone. But he was quoting from the Old Testament. In Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's what's quoted by Paul, that very verse. Isaiah 28:16. Thus, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone. Tested means it's tried and true, and when you start putting these two together, you've got the example of the cornerstone. They're supposed to be identical. A costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. And he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Or disappointed is a better translation of that. So the joining of the boards at the top without their joining at the bottom portrays Christ's humanity, stood on his own two feet, without aid of deity. So here is his humanity. Did he get influenced by deity, the Holy Spirit? Did he get the full measure of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely he did. But it came down to human decisions that he had to make, not divine decisions. We start thinking about him sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now that's, that's a statement of honesty. He's true humanity. And he knows enough to know what's going to happen on a cross. And it would, not, it would not be human to say, bring it on. That'd be arrogant. Let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That to me is one of the most powerful statements made of, of volition anywhere that has ever been recorded or made. Not my will, but your will be done. And that, that to me is, is what, what the cross in part was about. He had to decide to go. You might remember he made statements, no one takes my life from me. He knows who he is. Before Abraham came into existence, I am. We covered that Sunday. He knew who he was. He was God that became man, not a man that became God. He knew who he was. He had a true God consciousness because he knew who he was. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly that I might take it up again. See, he knew what was going to happen, but he also knew from his omniscience the agony of the cross but had not yet experienced it in a human body. You see, that when you start thinking about the theology that goes into the God-man, it's truly fascinating to me to think about the fact that he had to make these decisions along the way. People say, well, the Abrahamic covenant an unconditional covenant. It was after Abraham obeyed. It wasn't unconditional when God said, go to a place that I'm going to show you Get out of the land of your relatives, go to a place I will show you, and there I will make you a great nation. What if he wouldn't have left? Abraham had to make decisions to leave. And God ratified that three-part covenant in three different times. He gave him the sexual prosperity part first. Then he gave him the real estate in Genesis 15. And he gave him line of Messiah in Genesis 22. And when that became unconditional, but it was conditional for every descendant of Abraham, whether or not they'd partake. God was going to keep his promise. The question is, do you want to be part of it? You're not going to be a part of it because you're a Jew in name only or a Jew by race only. You're going to become a part of it through belief in the God of Abraham. That's how it's going to. That's how it's going to affect you. His glorified humanity will partake of the innermost recesses of phase three. Now, phase three, the term we use to describe heaven, eternity, the the forevermore that we talk about and think about. From from time to time, Now, as we start looking at these things and start coming together, here we see hypostatic union all the way through, surrounding us. What? Let's just take a quick peek at this. Here is the table of showbread. Can't hardly see it in this picture. Let's go back a picture or two. Got to see that cow again. There you go. And we we'll get back into the into the holy place. And this holy place has got the table of showbread in it. Again, wood overlaid with gold, a reminder of the hypostatic union. Surrounded by what? Wood overlaid with gold in the boards. What's at the base of them? Silver tenons or silver sockets that they are put into. So here is the showbread. So the hypostatic union, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. That's what he's saying. He's the, he's the real bread. The living bread. The one that will make a difference for all of eternity. Here's the lampstand. I am the light of the world. Oh, what about that? Altar of incense. He's the great high priest on heaven's throne. So, it's uh, you put all these things together and you have hypostatic union involved in all of it. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Uh <clears throat> You go into the Holy of Holies and there is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. That was off limits to everybody but the high priest once a year to go behind this curtain. Off limits. Except once a year the high priest would go in and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. A picture of the atonement. These curtains were doubled. Fascinating. These two curtains were doubled because... The high priest had to pull back one side of it, step inside the curtains, walk down to the other end, and pull back the other side to enter into the ark, because they were never to be exposed to one another, to the outside. So that was all planned for and provided for. And they, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure you heard the story that they used to tie a rope on the high priest. Because if he came, if he didn't come out of there alive, it's because Israel hadn't atoned for their sins, as they according with the law, and they were in deep trouble. So they tied a rope on this guy and put bells on the bottom of this robe that he had. And if the bells started stopped tinkling, or suddenly went like, you know, like a Christmas tree gone wild or something, and and hit the deck, they'd drag him out of there, because nobody was going in. <laughs> if God was mad enough to kill the high priest, nobody was going in to get him out. <laughs> so they'd drag him out from out from the inside to get him out of there. But inside that ark, Aaron's rod that budded. I'm the resurrection and the life. Hmm. Pot of manna that was preserved. I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. And let's see, the two tablets of the law. Uh, Every jot and tittle shall be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, not the law, without me fulfilling it. And it's just a constant reminder. The Jews are going to get told the plan of building this. And then in chapters 35 to 40, they're going to build it to begin with. And then God's going to move the cloud and they're going to follow the cloud and then they're going to set it up again in Numbers chapter 3. What did they do in Numbers? What's the great lesson of the book of Numbers? You can wander around for 40 years if you don't get your eyes off the Lord. That indeed is what can happen. Now, <coughs> the um, that's all the notes that I gave you, I believe, is it not? I should have gave you the next set, um, but the um, you want to go on without notes, or you want to <laughs> we can save it for next week. I've got them all written out here. But he's talking about bars. All right, let's talk just a minute. We'll go through them. Get out of there, cow! I got to take that cow out of there. That's driving me nuts. All right. You see, they put these on the inside. Every time I go looking for a picture, I study first what does it say, and then I look for a picture that matches. And I'll tell you, they're hard to find. They're hard to find. These bars are on the outside. These are the ones that run run through it. And I meant to copy a shot of that. Yeah, they don't have them. Anyway, on the outside is where these bars... Are talking about. It says you shall make bars and it's interesting because this word bariach is the word 41 times and it's bars that are often used to uh, put across a door to bar entry. You've seen them in castles and things. They close the door and then they've got these hasp, and then they slide this this bar in there so that if somebody's pushing on the door from the outside they can't get in It's it's a way to seal things and and stabilize them all the more. And it's part of what ties together all these vertical pieces of, of wood. And he says, make them of acacia wood. Five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is 45 feet long. Five bars means that they're 11 foot each. Okay, to go across there. Then you shall manufacture Uh, for the one side, and five bars for the boards on the second side, literally is what it says, of the tabernacle, the north side, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the rear. Now, those boards are only three feet. See, it's only 15 feet across, across the back of those. And the middle bar in the center of the boards, and notice it is a singular. So there are three sets of boards that will run the full length of the tabernacle. Up toward the top, across the middle, and down near the bottom. There are three sets of boards that do that. The middle bar is supposed to be 45 feet long. It just says one bar. Not five bars, one bar. Now this is a pretty good chunk of wood too. 45 feet long. We don't know its diameter though, so we can't calculate the the length of it. And I wonder because it's hard to get a board... To stay put, uh, in the sense of if it gets exposed to humidity. They were out in the desert, thankfully. But if you, I've got a two before that I left out and it got into the rain. It was outside and the rain got on it. I'm sure some of you have seen stuff like this. And I finally I went, that thing bent three or four inches on one end of the board. And I thought I'm just going to leave it out there and see how much it bends. And before it was done, is was at eight foot two before, it had been up almost a foot. And this is this the funniest looking board you ever saw. You couldn't bend it that way if you wanted to. Because sometimes you want to for ornate stuff. But anyway, that's what it did. And the middle bar in the center of the board shall pass through from, from end to end. See, one bar, end to end, 45 feet long. And this is a cool word. This is a hifil participle of Barak. It's used 65 times. And it's a, it is a, a verb that normally means to flee, to run, to put to flight. The root meaning is to pass through with speed. And it's a hifil shall be causing to pass through from end to end. So it says, when you start putting this thing in, keep moving. Put it in as quickly as you can put this, this thing in. And you shall overlay totally, this is our pu'al participle, the boards with gold and make their rings of gold as holders or houses for the bars and you shall overlay the bars totally with gold. This is a really nice place, is it not? Then you shall erect you shall cause to rise up the tabernacle according to its mishpot. Now when I when I saw this the word plan is the New American Standard what they did with the word plan but mishpot is a word that you, you that you learn in um, Hebrew 101 it's one of the very basic words it's one of the key words of of Genesis it's a key word of Exodus used 422 times and that's a word that means judgment. It is used of a divine decision that comes from the sovereignty of God. So when it's translated as plan, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that because he said, these are divine plans. Don't don't go the other way. He thought about it. He made the decision. This is the, the plans for the building. Follow them. Now that, that's what he means. Statutes and judgments, the word "coke" and "mishpot" and mishmeret and some of those words that are all interconnected with each other. He says, "Which you have been shown, literally, which you have been caused to see in a hip field on the mountain." So this is this is quite a quite a deal. Now I'll bring all these notes next week, and then we'll go through the 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 summary. But um, there's again more interesting things to be found because the symbolism is massive in here, and the symbolism is is so uh, so so neat and so cool. See, why why have number why have the number five? One quick thing, I got seven minutes. Okay, <clears throat> why the five bars? And we've talked about five being the number of grace. And sometimes it seems like, well, where did, the, where did people decide that five was the number of grace? And sometimes it seems like it's just an arbitrary thought process that went through and somebody said, hey, I think five ought to be grace. Well, that's not quite the way it happened. The number five is seen by one person, uh, Bollinger, who does the book on numbers as four, which is a thing that indicates a global type of thing, universal, northeast, southwest, and one, where God adds himself into the universal. Four plus one. The universal is God adding himself into that. And how does he add himself into that? By means of grace. Okay? Because he is a holy God and we can't approach him apart from grace. That's one line of reasoning. Another one I'd never seen before until today and I was looking around and it is the grace that is connected to the five wounds of the cross. Anybody here ever heard of the five wounds of the cross? Well, you're not the only one. I'd never heard of that before. And I thought well, where did where did that come from? Where, how, what's it talking about? it's it's simple you can put it together. Where where was he wounded? His hands, his feet, his head with the with the uh, crown, the lashes on his back, and the spear in his side. Huh? Every single one of those had to do with had to do with grace that was going to be extended to us. And I thought, isn't that interesting? The Five Wounds of the Cross. Had never thought of it before. But it's, uh, it's to me, I think it's beautiful picture. And uh, so it's, it's a little more than just simply an arbitrary decision that people have made. They started just coming at it from different directions seeing the same thing. That's one of the things that fascinates me. Different directions, different thought processes, different theologies, and they end up at the same place. Now, that seems to me like the Holy Spirit's in there somewhere. Let's pray. Father, it's been a good night. Once again, thank you for letting us come together and be able to open up your word. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to uh, be able to think through this. It's it's a lot to think through and and put together in our minds how this all fits. But Father, your plan is so beautiful and amazing. It's so intricate. It's all designed to fit. And I just pray that we get the privilege of viewing the beauty that you have displayed through this tabernacle uh, of your plan. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.